Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, August 7th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, new polling shows Biden still has strong support among black Democrats. Another poll shows Harris, Buttigieg, Booker, and Castro did best in the second debate. Booker's campaign staff unionizes. Hickenlooper keeps his options open. And the DNC clarifies the qualification timing for October. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, let's talk about a new poll. Quinnipiac conducted the poll from August 1st through 5th nationwide and focused on Democrats and what they call Democratic-leaning voters. There's a margin of error of plus or minus 4.1 percentage points, but in the data we're about to get into, that's not going to matter too much. Okay, so among many other questions, the poll identified black Democratic voters and asked which candidate they preferred. This continues to be a vital question for this field, as voters of color are likely to determine this election. I should also note that Latinx voters and other groups are also very important, but they were not identified in this poll. Okay, so what's the big headline? Well, basically, Joe Biden is still overwhelmingly popular among black voters. Now, because I still find the actual question text to be both illuminating and kind of funny, voters were asked the following question. And yes, Quinnipiac hired real humans to call people on actual telephones and literally say this verbatim. Quote, If the Democratic primary for president were being held today, and the candidates were Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, Amy Klobuchar, Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, John Hickenlooper, John Delaney, Pete Buttigieg, Andrew Yang, Marianne Williamson, Wayne Messam, Tim Ryan, Seth Moulton, Michael Bennett, Steve Bullock, Bill de Blasio, Mike Gravel, Joe Sestak, and Tom Steyer, for whom would you vote? End quote. Incidentally, part of what's weird about that question is the order in which the candidates are presented. It's not the order in which they announce their candidacy because Biden goes first, but he announced late. Well, you might think then maybe they ordered it by popularity from the last poll. Well, that's definitely not it because it's got O'Rourke in third place before people like Warren, who consistently do better in polls. So anyway, I could not find anything in the methodology to explain this wacky ordering, and it's definitely not random and not alphabetical, just kind of odd. Anyway, you're probably wondering how people responded. Well, reading from the analysis, quote, Biden gets 47% of black Democrats, with 16% for Sanders, 8% for Warren, and 1% for Harris, end quote. But I'm actually a little surprised there because Quinnipiac is leaving out some major candidates in their little summary quote, which is what made the headlines. There are actually three major black candidates in this field. They are Booker, Harris, and Messam. Of those three, Booker got less than 1%, Harris got 1%, and Messam got 2%. Of the non-black candidates who are not Biden, Sanders does lead the pack at 16%, then you have Warren at 8, O'Rourke at 2, and a handful of others, Buttigieg, Delaney, Hickenlooper, and Yang at 1%. Now, given the margin of error of just over 4%, everybody down there near the bottom is playing within that margin. The only people who exceed it are Biden, Sanders, and Warren in that order. There are also some undecided black voters, which does make the math add up to 100%. So this is, yet again, a reminder that you don't have to look like the people you're going to represent. Biden has had strong support from black voters throughout this race, and even his comments about working with segregationists way back in the day, or that 1994 crime bill thing, don't seem to have hurt him at all among black voters. 
So let's take a look at another subgroup here that will be vital to the Democratic primary, which is Democratic women. I'll read these results in descending order of preference. Biden, 31%. Warren, 24 Sanders, 10 Harris, 7 Buttigieg, 5 Booker, Klobuchar, and O'Rourke, 2 Castro, Messam, Williamson, and Yang, 1 So again, Biden is out ahead, but there is less of a lead on this one, with Warren real close behind him. I do think it's kind of notable that Mayor Wayne Messam of Miramar, Florida, who wasn't in the debates, gets essentially zero media coverage, but is out there campaigning, is showing up with these 1% and 2% results in subgroups, while you have candidates who were in the debates who don't show up at all. Like, where's Gillibrand at all this? Where's Gabbard? Well, wherever they are, it's behind Messam with these subgroups in this poll, subject to the margin of error, of course. Now, it's always possible that somehow, despite their statistical correction, the Quinnipiac folks accidentally called every member of the Messam fan club, but still, the number of major candidates who aren't even a blip is sort of shocking at this point. Okay, one last thing here, which is the overall post-debate standing in this poll. Now, this is one poll, but it's a pretty good one, and it's one that I've reported on before. The question here is, who would you vote for in the primary? Again, listing in descending order of preference, Biden, 32%. Warren, 21, Sanders, 14, Harris, 7, Buttigieg, 5, Booker and O'Rourke, 2, Castro, Gabbard, Klobuchar, and Yang, 1, and the 14 other candidates, less than 1%. So the analysis here seems to show Harris losing her first debate bump, plus Warren and Sanders hanging in there as strong second-place candidates. And of course, Biden is still the leader in this field. Despite some pundit musings to the contrary, we have not seen Biden knocked out of that number one spot. What we have seen is a lot of movement among Harris, Sanders, and Warren for that second-place spot. And I gotta say, Warren is doing very well right now. Okay, one more polling story. This one is much shorter, so don't worry too much. A Huffington Post slash YouGov poll of second debate viewers was conducted from August 1st through 2nd, and while YouGov does not declare a specific margin of error, there is a link in the show notes to their complex math and logic about how they feel about that whole issue. This was an online poll rather than a phone poll, and because of that, it covered 1,000 voters overall, more than most of the phone polls we typically see. I would also guess, I think, that the margin of error is a little larger as well. So the headline result from this poll comes from the question, quote, Did the debate improve slash worsen your opinion of any of these candidates? Select all that apply, end quote. And then they listed the candidates. Here's what it boiled down to. Senator Elizabeth Warren picked up a net plus 44% improvement from that most recent debate. Meaning, if you took the 50% of respondents who said their opinion of her improved and subtract the 6% who said it worsened, she was comfortably in the green with plus 44. That's big. Below her are Mayor Pete Buttigieg at plus 24, Senator Cory Booker at plus 20, and Julian Castro at plus 17. Joe Biden has just a net plus two score. I should also mention John Delaney, who is an extreme outlier with a net minus 30 points. He was very visible on the first night of that most recent debate, and that perhaps did not help him. It's likely that his sparring with Warren contributed to both of their scores here. Warren said of Delaney during the debate, quote, 
I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. And zinger. Okay, when you take these numbers and try to line them up with the Quinnipiac results or other recent polls, it's not clear that the debates really changed voters' minds all that much. So yes, Warren crushed it in the debates, at least according to this poll, and she is doing better overall in national polls since the debate, but not by the same amount. And here's one final number from this online poll that I found very telling about how much we should invest our thoughts in polls at this point anyway. Reading from the Huffington Post story by Ariel Edwards-Levy, quote, Only about half of Democratic and Democratic-leaning voters now say they have even a good idea of whom they'll vote for, although that's up from 38% after the first debates in June. End quote. Yeah, so we're looking at maybe half the voters here with a semi-firm choice for their candidate, so there is still a ton of room to move. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by My Wall Street. Now look, when I started investing, there was a world of options open to me, and that was the problem. There are a zillion stocks you can buy, but it's really hard to know which of them are any good. I read a whole book on investing, and I thought I had it locked in, and I managed to pick five stocks, all of which totally tanked and left me wondering why investing had to be so hard. Well, the broker I used was there to help me buy stocks, but they weren't there to tell me which stocks might be a good idea or or why. And that's where My Wall Street comes in. They are not a broker, so you can trust them to make unbiased recommendations. They are experienced investors who do the legwork for you. They research the stocks, give you a short list of the best ones, then you can pick which of those you might want to buy. My Wall Street helps you enter the world of investing with a trustworthy partner at your side. And best of all, Election Ride Home listeners can access the entire My Wall Street app for free and use it for 30 days instead of the normal 7 days. After a full month, you can stick with their expert guidance for just $9.99 a month. So visit MyWallStreet.com slash ride to download the app now and get access to their market-beating stock picks and expert guidance. That's MyWallStreet, spelled MyWallST.com slash ride. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Next up, Senator Cory Booker's staff of roughly 60 people has unionized. They joined the Teamsters Local 238. Booker has applauded the move and collective bargaining has begun with a contract agreement expected in a few weeks. Booker's campaign is far from alone in this field and becoming unionized. Other notable primary campaigns that did so before are Castro, Sanders, Swalwell, and Warren. And we have heard rumblings that O'Rourke would support a union if such an effort went forward. So this is genuinely a historic thing. Sanders went first, and that was indeed the first unionized campaign staff in American history. That we now have five total candidates in the field, well, minus Swalwell, I guess, who have had union campaigns, that's really something to celebrate and potentially a new dynamic for campaigns to come. 
Meanwhile, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper is hedging his bets a little bit. There were reports last month that his campaign staff had urged him to drop out of the presidential race and run for Senate instead. That came after a major staff shakeup in which Hickenlooper lost much of his staff, perhaps because they thought he could not win. Well, Hickenlooper is clearly aware that the Senate option might be more practical. Reading from a CNN article by Jeff Zelaney and Alex Rogers, quote, John Hickenlooper, who has struggled to break through the crowded Democratic presidential field, spoke to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer late last week about running for the Senate from Colorado, a race he has resisted joining but is keeping an open mind about, a top aide tells CNN. He is still in the race for president, but he hasn't closed the door to anything, said Peter Cunningham, the communications director for the former Colorado governor. The latest conversation between Hickenlooper and Schumer took place in New York following the CNN presidential debates in Detroit. The two have spoken repeatedly about the Senate contest, but Hickenlooper has been insistent on keeping his presidential campaign alive. Yet, Hickenlooper is also facing the reality of not making the next debate in September, according to people familiar with his campaign operation. He is well behind in the number of donors and level of polling needed to qualify, they said. End quote. Look, throughout this primary, I have emphasized how early it is and how it's up to candidates to choose what they want to do. I should point out, though, that we are entering a time, namely the September and October debates, when it will be effectively too late for a candidate to make a real run without some kind of major X factor, like Steyer's billionaire status or, I don't know, fame? Like maybe if The Rock decided to run, he'd have a shot, I guess? So we really are approaching this August 28th deadline, which is the end of the qualifying period for the next debate, and I think candidates are genuinely looking at the exits. I am frankly surprised that more of them have not already walked out. Well, last up today, you just heard me say that August 28th is the deadline for candidates to qualify for the September DNC debates. That is true, and if somebody qualifies for September, they are also qualified for October. But what about candidates who do not qualify for September? What specifically is their deadline to get into the October debate? Well, the DNC has clarified that, sort of. So the beginning of the qualifying period was June 28th, meaning that any polling that happens between that date and August 28th is valid for September. The DNC sent a memo yesterday to campaigns telling them that June 28th is still the start date for qualifying for October. Well, good, that makes sense, that's what we all thought. Then, here's the news part. They said the end date for October's debate qualification would be two weeks before the October debate. Okay, cool. That's news, and it gives us more breathing room for candidates to qualify for October. All right, so when is the October debate? Well, no date has been set, so let's do some speculative math for a moment. Let's say the October debate falls on, say, October 7th. That's a Monday. It is the first Monday in October, so it seems fairly reasonable that's the earliest it would go. Also keep in mind that Yom Kippur falls on October 9th, so it would fit in fairly well on a Monday-Tuesday there, or possibly later in the following week, which also has Columbus Day on Monday. Anyway, point being, let's say they pick October 7th for that debate. That would mean the candidates had until Monday, September 23rd to pick up their 130,000 donors and their four poll results of 2% or more. That would be a nice extension. That's handy for some of these campaigns that are still on the bubble. I think it's extremely likely that you would see more campaigns hit that fundraising threshold given the extra time. That is well within reach for a lot of them now. But the polling remains very difficult. Still, being able to run polls through late September is a heck of a lot better than thinking you're going to have to cut them off in late August. 
This is a factor that may be keeping candidates in the race hoping that lightning strikes. The net effect here is that the October debate will likely feature more candidates than the September debate, although my educated guess is that number might be something like one or two candidates. After October, all bets are off since we don't know what the new criteria will be that the DNC will come up with to qualify for whatever comes after. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, it is a gloomy day in Portland, but in the middle of a blazing summer, I will take it. Now, look, have you ever had to take out a tree stump? Well, I have. uh, Actually, a lot of them. And I'm gonna have to do it again. We had to cut down a willow tree that was attempting to visit our neighbor's yards, but the stump is in a location that cannot be accessed by the good old stump grinder. So I have done my research, and I'm going out there with a drill and a chisel to try to do this the green way. And this does feel very 19th century, but I think I can make it work. So wish me luck, I guess? As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Thank you.